Ryan presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Adam Kaplan, powered by InsideTheBirds.com. I think we have the ability to do something really special uh, with this group, but it's going to take a lot of hard work. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. All right, time for Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. And, of course, Adam Kaplan's in today. We'll talk a lot of Eagles, NFL, as we get you ready for Football at Four. Brought to you by Matt Blatt Kia. They want to get you approved today. Matt Blatt Kia, 6211 Black Horse Pike in Egg Harbor Township. And don't forget to check out the newest edition of the Inside the Birds podcast with Jeff Mosher and today's guest, Adam Kaplan, who joins us now on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Adam, welcome back, man. How are you? Guys, good. It's tough. Yeah, we, we dropped a fun show. So on this one that we dropped this morning, we talk about, and I knew, I knew this was going to be something people, we have a message board on Facebook, which we go over, Mike and, and Hunter, we go over the last 10 years of Eagles futility at linebacker and really why, why they have not been able to develop that position. And we, we, we look at the reasons, and, and we also fast forward to this season about what to expect, and we certainly could talk about it during the segment. We also take a deep dive from our coaching sources about what's expected training camp and the challenges because, quite frankly, guys, you're not going to see a lot from rookie players. It's just not. It's going to be very – other than Jalen Rager, I'm not expecting to get much from the Eagles rookies this season. Well, yesterday with Jeff, we asked him about rookie roles. We can get into that with you as well and what the coaches think about that. But I want to start uh, with that linebacker and the issues they have there. I know uh, – a lot of people look at this linebacking core, look at them as one of the worst in the league, and, you know, why have they had so many issues at that spot? Um, and what is their approach there? I mean, you know, it seems that they like that, you know, guy who was smaller, played safety maybe, and has that quicker, you know, more athletic ability than that classic linebacker that we think of. You know, it's interesting, Mike. They went through that uh, during Harry Roseman's early tenure, 10 and 11, this is when they were drafted, guys. You mentioned Brian Rawls, a guy you might remember him, which is one of the smallest linebackers I've ever seen. Uh, they were going with guys 220, 225. And remember, the late great Jim, Jim Johnson, he wanted guys who were smaller and athletic. So that was kind of a carryover from Roseman's first two years. They drafted five linebackers. Then they went through a, a, a situation where they didn't draft any for three seasons. And they were just really building their, their, their linebacker group with, with mostly veteran free agents. And it sort of worked. You saw how well they did uh, in 2017, their Super Bowl run. Uh, yeah, it was Michael Kendricks who they drafted in 12, but uh, they had Nigel Bradham. It turned out to be a really good free agent signing. You remember D'Amico Ryans, uh, Mike, who was a terrific trade that Roseman made from getting from the Texans. It, 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 they just were able to build it through free agency, but that's really not the way you need to build it. You need to build it with your own players who go through your system and, and what your coaches want. That's really what they're doing now. Uh, if you look at uh, Davion Taylor, who they believe is going to be a nickel linebacker. By year three, they they think he'll be a starting nickel linebacker. T.J. Edwards, who's about 240-plus, who's a thumper, uh, who's a run stopper, but he's really only a two-down linebacker. Duke Riley got in a trade. Uh, talking to Falcons about a Falcon source about him. He started off really well in his career, and he got benched, didn't handle, handle it well, and never was able to get back in the lineup. He, he did well in the limited playing time that he got, and he's more of a special teams player. Jatavis Brown, who's a really undersized linebacker, very athletic. Dante Olsen is, is a bigger linebacker, uh, not super athletic, but a good tackler. But I, I would say this, look, they, they, there's no question, Mike, when you look at it, 
on paper, they don't have one quality starter. That that's that's the way the league sees it. Nick Gary's been a good a good guy in terms of development, a former safety, as you mentioned, but he's a below average linebacker. That's the way other teams see him. So it's really, I think, Mike, been more of the the lack of resources that they've spent. It's not been a coaching issue so much as it's been what have you really done to develop these guys? How, how look they they. They, when is the last time they spent a high-round pick? They haven't done it with a first-rounder. Michael Kendrick was the last second-rounder they did, and that was eight years ago. So I think it's more the, the, the lack of, of really using high-round draft picks and developing those players. Now, is that an organizational philosophy, or is there just not the guy that they want at that spot? Yeah, it is absolutely the organizational philosophy. This started by Joe Benner. I talked to Joe about it. He always felt that you could, you're only going to put your cap dollars, your, your high-end cap dollars, in high-round draft picks. He built. He said, we're going to build it, and this was his philosophy when he came in as the team president in 94. He's like, look, we're going to build it with our offensive, defensive lines, and guess what, Andy Reid did the same thing when he got personnel control in 2001. And that's what they've done with Howie Roseman. That's why they're always competitive. But you also have to look at it. You just can't. Not, you could not totally ignore it, as Mosher said. He's just right. They've pretty much ignored it. Uh, and Sean, look, uh, Sean Bradley's a six-rounder, teams tell me, uh, that graded him. He's more of a special teams player only. We just talked about Davion Taylor, who's more of a project, that you're hoping by year three, which is what the Eagles believe, he'll be a, one of their two starting nickel linebackers. That's great. But other teams told me they had, that they looked, they really viewed him as a fifth-rounder, not like a third-rounder like the Eagles. So, it's also maybe when we, as you and I are talking here, might be misevaluation of what round to take these guys. It's really the one position consistently that, not just when Howie Rosen was here, just consistent, just consistently over the last fifteen years or so, been really a lack of development because they've not really evaluated the position well enough. Well, and then I guess this kind of goes into a two-part question: Is Davion Taylor third round, Dante Olson, Sean Bradley sixth round? Olson was a free agent guy. Did the Eagles view these guys as guys who could possibly help them, but but now because they're not going to get exhibition games or preseason games and then training camp, that now that plan maybe goes out the window? I think that's fair. Look, no one is expecting Davion Taylor to do anything but play special teams this season, so you you could put him to the side. Sean Bradley, same thing, only special teams. Dante Olsen, the hope is if he he makes it, to be the backup Mike linebacker behind T.J. Edwards. Here's the problem, as you just said. He's a rookie. He's an undrafted free agent. He did not get any offseason. He won't have any preseason. The fourth, the, the fourth and first preseason games are when the back-end players really shine. This is when they get a chance in the third and fourth quarters. Or in the fourth preseason game, guys like Olsen probably start. Well, guess what? There are no preseason games. There is no offseason. You don't know anything about these players, so you can't just go in and say, oh, yeah, you know what? I think he's going to do this. How could you know that when you didn't have an offseason or, or preseason? Well, how do you think that these coaches are planning to handle this issue? Yes, yeah, so Hunter, my, my understanding, uh, just talking to some coordinators and coaches around the league, is that they're basically going to try to find things that these guys can do. Because you, you haven't had them on the field, so you can only go by what you saw on tape. And one coordinator told me, I thought this is, this is pretty interesting, he told his assistants, I want you to go back not only on last year's tape, the 19 tape, I want you to go back two years ago, if they were a senior to their junior tape, and find tape that, that it shows that there are a couple things they can do because we're going to run our schemes, but we're not going to ask them to do things that we don't think they can do yet. We've got to get them through with the, 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 the training camp without having an offseason or a preseason to go on. So they're just gonna, I don't want to say dumb it down, but they're just going to have to give them things they know they can do. 
And look, one thing I do want to mention, you, you have a revamped coaching staff on both sides of the football. You've got a new defensive line coach. You've got a new DBs coach. You've got a new wide receivers coach. And they've got a lot of young talent at those positions, guys. To think that these rookies are going to come in and, and, and be able to be an impact, it's just not realistic. Um, now, look, I'll say this. As the season goes along, they may need these guys. But early on, I, my sense is coaches are going to gravitate more to veterans. So how do you think that that impacts someone like Jalen Hurts? I know that it was very uh, controversial at the time, but here's a guy that can definitely be in some unique situations in Doug Peterson's offense. Do you think as they dumb things down, as you say, that Jalen Hurts will be impacted by that? Now, Hurts, the key for Hurts is because he's not going to have a big role anyway. Nate Sudfeld is going to be the number 2 quarterback, and Hurts is going to be the third quarterback if he dresses. And Kyle Ouellette is highly unlikely to make the team. So what they'll do is, Hunter, they're going to give him a certain package. This is, what was, this is what I was told after the draft, that they're going to give him certain things to do. If it works, they'll give him more. I, I still think he's going to be a red zone quarterback. Uh, there might be situations where he's in, he's in the lineup with Miles Sanders and Deshaun Jackson to give defenses something to think about. That's only if he knows what he's doing. And this has been sort of the phrase from coaches that I've talked to. They keep saying if, he, if this player or that player knows what they're doing, they'll give him the ball where they'll let the player on the field. If not, they won't be on the field. So still going to be a very small role. His thing is the Eagles, one, hurts to be the number two quarterback in, in, in 2021. He, you know, not having an offseason doesn't help him with that. So next year's offseason is going to be major for him. Uh, you said if he dresses. Uh, can you see a scenario where Hurts is inactive on game days? Sure. Well, well, let me ask you this question. If Sudfeld's the number two quarterback – the Eagles have a history of not dressing a third quarterback in recent years. They, didn't, they haven't done it much unless there's an injury. Why would you dress him other than you want him to get used to being in a uniform and getting preparing for the game? Unless you're going to use him as a Wildcat quarterback or use him as a specialty player, why would you dress him? I just don't see the point of well, it. Well, yeah, if you're, if you're not planning on utilizing him in any role, sure, why would you dress him? I think right. I, that would be right. a little surprising, though. At that point, I might question – you know, you took a backup quarterback for two years down the road in the second round. If you're telling me you're going to utilize him in other fashions, then I can justify it a little bit more. But, Mike, remember, no offseason, no preseason. True. The only work that he's going to get as a backup quarterback uh, will be with fellow. Remember, he's going to run either second or third team offense. He's not going to get a lot of work. Oh, by the way, practices won't start till mid-August because of the ramp-up period. He's just not going to get a lot of time. I... I it would surprise me if he dresses the majority of the time. I just don't see it, but I could be wrong. But had he had an offseason and a preseason, he absolutely would dress most of the time. Uh, a lot You just mentioned the ramp-up, practices August. Challenges for uh, no preseason games and how the coaches are going to handle not having those you know, four games. I know we all kind of say, oh, they're meaningless, nobody cares, the players don't want to play. But these back-end guys, this is a big deal for, and I'm sure the coaches like four games way more than the fans and players do. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was talking to a position coach, a tight end coach, a couple weeks ago. He said, you know, veterans don't need preseason. He goes, this is when he, he actually wrote about this for InsideTheBirds.com. Uh, the phrase that he said was that it's basically, the, the preseason is basically like NBA rookie camp. It, you, don't, you don't see veterans doing it. It's for rookies and first-year players. And that's really what the preseason is. It's for back-end players. Now, here's the, here's, let's move this forward here. Guys like Michael Warren, Adrian Killens, uh, Elijah Holfield, who, talking to the Eagles, they really wanted to see if he could, 
eventually be their third running back to, to push Corey Clement for a role. That, it's unlikely that's going to happen this training camp because he's not having a preseason or an offseason. Uh, guys like we're, we're talking about bottom-end guys like Manasa Bailey, like Marcus Green, John Hightower, by the way, who they have high hopes for but needs to kind of get stronger physically and, and needs to, to mature a little bit. These guys are just not going to get time. I mean, that, that's the problem. And also, here's another one for you. Now, Jordan Mailata is obviously going to make the team, and he's one of their top guys he'll dress every week. But not getting those preseason reps, Mike, not having an offseason. Remember, he's never played in an NFL regular season game. They love this guy. They're obsessed with him. They would like him to be their top backup outside lineman, you know, right left tackle. But, again, he's not getting a preseason. So I don't know that they could depend on that. They just have to see what happens with him during training camp. How difficult is it going to be for the Eagles to get down to 80 players? Yeah, so, Hunter, on this show on, on ITB this, that dropped today, we go through every player that we think that, or, that are in jeopardy. They're at 87 now. It wasn't very hard to get them down to 80. Now, teams that I've spoken to the last week think it's going to be 80. God forbid it goes to 75. Then you could potentially see guys like Raekwon Williams, who the Eagles want to compete against, Anthony Rush. By the way, Anthony Rush would not be an Eagle if not for last year's preseason. Anthony Rush, who's, who came in about 362, I'm, so, I'm told, Anthony Rush was one of the best defensive tackles of any rookie in the preseason with the Raiders. He was phenomenal after the Eagles cut him, and the Eagles were lucky enough to get him from the Raiders' practice squad. They want Rush to compete against Raekwon Williams for the fifth defensive tackle job. It, look, the, the pre, no preseason and no offseason really impacts uh, their, their, their issues about making the team. And Raekwon Williams, guys, I had two teams tell me that uh, they had a fifth-round grade on him. So this kid's pretty good out of Michigan State. Keep an eye on him. Yeah, and I know uh, there's uh, you know less opportunities, the cuts down to 80 players, the challenges of no preseason, and all of a sudden, you know, this is going to be creeping up on us pretty soon. So, uh, what has it been like for the coaches to kind of get back in and in, into their surroundings? Yeah, it's interesting. Like, so some of these guys came in in June anyway; they're allowed in, but they said, "Here's what happens: you get the swab test, you get your temperature taken." You must wear a mask everywhere you go in the building. Every NFL building has cameras. And, look, you, there's going to be a sort of a, 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 I don't want to call him a COVID officer, but every team's going to have someone whose responsibility is to make sure all the protocols are upheld. The only time you could not wear a mask is in your own office with no one in there. And what the other thing is, because players came in today and there's some meetings, they, they have to space these meetings, and not every player could be in these meetings because you, you cannot – there is overflow because you have to distance. So what they're doing is they're, they're, they're putting the, – anyone who cannot get into those meetings uh, will be on, will be on uh, Microsoft Teams. It's just – this is the new normal, Mike, with, with coaches and players in buildings. And it's even going to be even harder for the media. Because I, I got the uh, – from the league, I got the, the restrictions. Uh, basically – there are only going to be 10 people who could actually watch a, a practice close-up. The rest of us will be somewhere else farther away. Uh, they, they'll, they'll let up to 30 people way, well away from the practice field to the point where, Mike, I don't know that I'll even go because if I can't see practice, it's really not – I'm not someone who needs to go in a locker room. I'm talking to coaches and executives away from the, the practice anyway. So I don't really have much reason to go. So it's going to be difficult for us. If you want to get information, you're going to have to call people, and that's really what I've done throughout the, my career. But – not going to be fun trying to go to practice this season. 
You just saw Juan Soto, star of the Nationals, test positive, and he's going to have to miss some time in an already shortened season. How big is the fear that, you know, this can happen to, say, a starting quarterback, and then you really don't know what to do? Yeah, so Hunter, so what, the couple things that they're going to do, they're still having, you remember the new CBA, which got done in March, you, they're going from 53 to 55 on game day, but one of those players must be a quarterback. The practice squads are probably going to go up to at least 16. There's been no movement yet to expand the active rosters, but to, to what you were saying, there's definitely a concern about what happens to the starting and backup quarterback. So, so one thing I do want to mention with this 80-man roster, cut down from 90 to 80, what some coaches have brought up to me is that they don't understand why you can't just have these players on a practice squad for training camp. Whereas, okay, they cannot practice with your people. They cannot be in the building. Let them sit on meetings verbally from their hotel room. Let them learn. And if you don't want them for the fall as part of your 53-man roster, then go cut them. But why not, ex- why not expose them virtually to your football team? And th- this is just something I think the, the, the league and the NFLPA could have done a better job of, of working through. But some of these guys, listen, Corey Clement, he's kind of guy we may not know about uh, in 2017 if we have this COVID issue because – Clement was a superstar in OTAs, and guys like Clement are not getting the practice time anymore. Uh, talk with Adam Kaplan, Inside the Birds podcast. Make sure you uh, check out the latest edition. It dropped today. And, of course, football at four here, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Um, let's go real quick, rookie roles, and get your quick thoughts on some of these sure. guys. Uh, you mentioned Rieger as the only guy you think makes an impact. What kind of role do you see for him? Yeah, he's going to be rotating with Deshaun Jackson initially, and then – I expect him to be playing in the slot because he can. I think he's going to play uh, in the Eagles' offense. The F position is called the slot. Uh, he's going to play some slot. He'll play the Z position, which is Jackson's position. Uh, he, he, they'll probably play him at Summit X, which is Jeffrey's position. Alshon Jeffrey is going to play football this season. It's still unclear when he's going to be ready. I'm told he's been running. Uh, we'll see what happens when we get to August. What he's not allowed to do, what he can do, but he's going to contribute. Uh, but the thing that Rager has is he's got more versatility than any receiver they have on the roster. That's going to help him. And they're going to see Marquise Goodwin. He's going to get on the field. He's healthy. Um, you know, he's got uh, you know he and his wife have had a healthy child. That's that's a good thing. He, he you know he had to move on from the Niners, but the Eagles want to work him in off the bench. He's super explosive. Uh, so I think Rager, though, to answer your question, Rager's going to have a really clearly defined role. But they're going to spoon feed him because he did not have an offseason. He's not going to have a preseason. Now, you mentioned him in the slot, and I know Greg Ward had such a great season last year that a lot of people think of him as someone in the slot right now. Is there someone else besides Rager who is coming in as this class that maybe can step over Greg Ward? Well, Rager, I think you're going to see a bunch of guys play the slot. Uh, Deshaun Jackson has played the slot. He'll play the slot. He's more he's a movement Z, but also play, he'll, you also see him run, in, run from the slot. Rager can do it. Goodwin can do it. Uh, Ward could do it. They'll have a committee at that position. They, they, the problem with Greg Ward is he just doesn't run very well. He's a possession receiver. He's pretty good at it, but he's running shallow, shallow routes. They needed to stretch the field. Nelson Aguilar was the epitome of when Nelson Aguilar played great in 2017. It was what they called a vertical slot. He was really good at it. Unfortunately, he's not going to sustain it. But they're going to have a, a, a variety of guys. And then we didn't mention J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. I know he's not a rookie, but the Eagles are looking at him as this is his real first season. Uh, I'm told he had a, actually had a heel injury to start the season. Uh, he injured it in that, in that Lions game in weeks three or four. I think it was week three. That, it was really hot that day. It was a game that they lost at home, a very close game. 
they had a plantar fascia injury, which I'm told he suffered it in December. So he's healthy, and they're expecting to have a pretty good role here. All right. Uh, you, you hit on Hertz a little bit for his role, yeah. uh, which seems to be very minimal. Taylor, as well at linebacker, uh, as maybe just a special teams guy. Let's go to Wallace. What kind of role do you yep. see for him? Yeah, so here's the thing, though. McLeod, Parks, and Mills, unless Mills doesn't know what he's doing, he's going to play a lot. So Wallace will, will compete to be the fourth safety and play on special teams, but his deal is is potentially starting next year, maybe pushing Rodney McLeod off the roster. Wallace is more of a deep safety. Uh, you can move around a little bit. He's a pretty smart kid uh, from what I've heard. But while I don't see Wallace other than special teams playing a whole lot. This is just a situation with the no offseason that, Mike, to sum it up, you just you have to be patient. Eagle fans have to understand this is – a major challenge not only for the players but for the coaches to figure out how to get these guys on the field. Uh, Driscoll, we thought, could be up for starter. Now he seems to depth guy? Well, not this year. He, he's not. No, there's no way he starts. No, he, no, no. I meant before they signed Peters. Him and uh, Pryor, maybe? Yeah, but they, they were not going to do that. Pryor would have started. No, they, my, I was told that there, there was no consideration for Driscoll to start because he, he didn't have an offseason. So, uh, now, future-wise, for sure. Now, their hope is... If they dress nine, he'll be one of those nine because he could he could back up at right tackle, he could back up at guard, uh, and I'm told he also had snaps at Auburn uh, at center in practice. Uh, but overall, Jack Driscoll, long-term, should be one of their top backup linemen, and maybe, maybe, uh, if it does not work out with Pryor at guard and once Brooks is done playing, the Eagles, I'm told, are locked into Brooks' contract for 21 because they're, they fully guaranteed his contract in March. So he'll be a, he'll be an eagle next year, but maybe in twenty twenty two Driscoll competes for a starting job. All right, uh, Hightower, Watkins, those two receivers. Yeah, I, what'll happen is I, I my sense is they'll keep six receivers. Jeffrey will probably start. In fact, he has to. He'll start pup to start uh, training camp. But then, depending on when they think he'll be ready, if he, they think he'll play in the first half, he probably would not be on reserve pup to start the season. So it would be Jeffrey, Jackson, Rager, Hightower, Ortega, Whiteside, uh, Goodwin, and and then obviously whether Watkins or, or Ward or Hightower become the sixth receiver. I don't see them keeping seven. I don't see them keeping five. It just depends if Jeffrey is going to be on the at first 53 or whether he starts the season on PUP. Now with Hightower, the knock on him is two things. He needs he needs to get stronger physically. Uh, he's just he's very thin. He's just he's around six foot two. And he needs to mature a little bit. Uh, it's just kind of one of these situations where he's just—you know—he's 21 years old. The light needs to go on for him, but he's—he's he's a good kid. He's—he's got to get stronger. He's got a chance at Quez Watkins. I'll tell you what: from talking to other teams, Mike, he's a better football player than Hightower, but he's got a long ways to go. A long ways to go, but uh, he's got more ability than Hightower. It's just—he uh, dropped to the sixth round because he's just not ready. Uh, it's going to take him a little bit longer, is what I'm told. All right, the last two are uh, Wanongo and Tuhill. Are both of those guys very long shots, practice squad guys? Yeah, Wanongo will not be ready, barring a shocker, to be, to be able to play this season. It's just a matter of does, does he – he won't dress this season. Does he make the roster or do they waive him? Hope he passes through waivers and signs to the practice squad. And yeah, Tuhill had a really good East-West Shrine week. It'll be hard for him because Barnett, Graham, Sweat, Jernard Avery, Sharif Miller are five. Uh, Deshaun Hall's a long shot coming off ACL reconstruction. Osman's coming off of ACL reconstruction. I'm told he's doing really well. Two Hill's a real long shot. He would have to, 
he would have to beat out Osman, and there's such love in the Eagles building for Osman. I don't see that happening. All right, he's Adam Kaplan, the Inside the Birds podcast. You can, of course, uh, check that out. It is uh, dropped today, and, of course, uh, Eagles training camp. Uh, uh, this time next week, they'll be out there, right? Well, yeah, but they're not practicing. They're just going through, they'll go through the ramp-up period. Uh, there's no practices until mid-August. Yeah, they, you know, because the players will not give in, and they want to they ramp-up period for about two weeks where right. strength and conditioning and lifting, so there's no practices until at the at the at the earliest would be around the thirteenth or the fourteenth, but remember they got to have day they have to be off in the they have to have days off. So, folks, you're not going to see much of training camp this season. All right, uh, Adam Kaplan, like August, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Make sure you check out the Inside the Birds podcast. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. All right, he is back next Thursday tomorrow. Andrew DeCicco is in with football at four. We have Sixers tomorrow. There is no football at four tomorrow. <laughs> Sixers basketball, though. 3.30. That's right. Sixers hoops. Okay, well, I'm not, on, I'm not working tomorrow. You're right. So I didn't think about it. And then I'm off next week. So football at four, you do whatever you want with it. Well, we're going to do what we do all the time. Get some great Eagles knowledge out there. Yeah, I and mean, he just said something there that uh, the ramp-up period, you're not going to have training camp like it was. The month of August, which you're typically like, football's here and, like, you're waiting all summer for it, doesn't feel like that. Because all these other sports have now pushed. It's done something you never thought could happen. These other sports have pushed your football desire to the side. Is that a bad thing, though? Not necessarily, but it's so weird that typically you're in the dog days of summer, and it's like, oh, just get me to yeah. football. And by now, you that Hall of Fame game's coming, and you're like, yes! And now it's like... Uh, football is just not even on my radar right now. Yeah, you're at, what, game 90 or so of the MLB season, yeah. game 80, which, by the way, I would still love to be in that situation. I don't know. I think I kind of like this. No baseball? This month of August where it's just going to be a free-for-all in football, no preseason games to bitch about. You know, you're just kind of like, give me to the regular season. Have all these other sports take up August now. You don't want to scream about seeing that one series from the first team, guys? I'm out on that. Sports Bass Live. Ask Mike and Broads next. 97.3 ESPN. All right, it's time for Ask Mike and Broads. You guys send the questions in. We'll answer them for you. 609-403-0973, 609-403-0973. Remember, Sixers basketball returns tomorrow, 3.30. We have Sixers and Grizzlies right here on 97.3 ESPN. Sixers play Sunday at noon. You'll hear that game on 97.3 ESPN. These are the scrimmage-like exhibition games that they're playing to get ready for the restart of the regular season, which starts next Saturday against the Pacers. And, of course, you can hear that game and all Sixers games on 97.3 ESPN. This question is very intriguing. And I never really thought about it until I read it, and I'm thinking, huh, this might not be a bad idea. Kyle asks, should the Phillies extend D.D. Gregorius right now? Now, I don't think that that's their number one plan at the moment. We understand JT's more important, but I like the thought process. If the Phillies could extend him for, say, let's say two, three years, would you do that right now? I like DD, and I think that if he would take a, like, hey, I was on a prove-it deal to begin with, 
But if you want to give me a long-term deal before I prove anything, then I'll take it. Then I would consider it. Well, think about it. At the shortstop position, yes, you could move Gene Segura back to shortstop after DD leaves next year. Yep. But you don't really have a long-term solution there. Not that extending him two years down well, the road would be Well, they did draft that kid in the first round Stott. last year. His name's Stott. Bryson Stott. But do you? Th I don't think that he's ready to just come up. If you extend someone like Didi for three years, and then maybe that's your plan after that contract, I would feel pretty comfortable with that. Well, I mean, you have Segura. I don't know how long his contract is. I thought you were suggesting that if you don't him have DD that you can put Segura there. He is signed through 2023, which means then Stott, you would think, would be ready right around then. So the alternative could be go Boehm back to Segura. And Boehm goes to third base, and he'd be your yeah. everyday guy over at third base. Oh, I would hope that Boehm will be ready to be a better defensive player by next year, and you have hopefully... I don't even know that that's going to be possible, that you're going to have regular spring training. So would Didi then staying almost hurt Alec Bohm? Because if Didi stays, Segura is at third. Where does Alec Bohm play? DH? He doesn't get to play the field. This year. But I'm even talking about this year? I'm talking about if Didi was extended in this hypothetical for a couple seasons. What does that oh, how okay. does that affect Alec Bohm now? Yeah, I mean he's now DH, maybe play some first base, play some third, those guys. And then it gives a chance for Segura to have an off day, just DH, Bohm to have off days, just DH, play first base, Reese Hoskins just like you can have some rotating between those three guys. Right. No, I I never really thought about extending D.D. Gregorius right now. I like right D.D., now. and D.D. is a guy that, and they brought this up on the broadcast the other night, and, and they're right, is that D.D. got put into an unbelievable situation with the Yankees and never blinked. I mean, he had to replace Derek Jeter and never really blinked an eye at it, came in and had um, really good years for them. I mean, hit for power, 20 homers, 25 homers, 27 homers, hit for a decent average, 264 is his career batting average. But with the Yankees one year, hit 287 with 25 homers, 87 ribbies. I mean, I think DD, if you could get him for, like this year, they got him on this one-year prove-it deal, and the one-year prove-it deal is $14 bucks. You know, you got him kind of like for a, a nice bargain, $14 million bargain, right? But... If I can say, hey, we'll sign you to a long-term deal, but you got to give us a little bit of a discount. I would be really, really old. excited if they did that. I think I would. I think he brings so much. And we talk about the depth of the batting order. You have someone like Didi Gregorius hitting sixth or so in the lineup. I mean, that's really solid. That is really solid. And then we kind of talked about this before with Gene Segura batting seventh, who was a very close to a 300 hitter batting seventh. It would just be remarkable. But it does affect some of the younger players like Alec Bohm, and I guess you kind of have to weigh the options. Would you rather have Alec Bohm playing every single day, knowing he's at third base, and Segura playing shortstop, or would you rather have him float around a bit, DH, third, first, and be more of something to a minor extent of what Scott Kingery was doing? I don't care if Bohm ever plays the field, to be honest with you. This DH, I just don't care. So if he's just a DH, I don't care. I think he eventually I mean, I don't have takes to over Reese Hoskins' spot defensively. Possibly, yeah. I mean, and if Hoskins just kind of morphs into a DH. I mean, I don't have to say I drafted a guy and he doesn't even play the field. No, that's what happens when you have a DH. Your brain turns into mush. <laughs> Speaking of mush, I had to apologize to mosh, even though it's two different words. 
because I remember about a year or two ago, we were on these airwaves one day when you were out and we were filling it. And we got into a pretty heated debate about Reese Hoskins. And he said that he would trade Reese Hoskins for Boyd at the time, the pitcher for the for the uh, Detroit Tigers. Tigers yep. And I said, no, you got a first baseman who's hitting dingers. He can bat forth. There's no way I'm trading Reese Hoskins for Matt him. Boyd. And then yesterday, I had to apologize to him. I would trade Reese Hoskins for a starting pitcher today. Have to. Oh, not even. I wouldn't even think about well, it. Well, you have Alec Bohm, you can play it first. Very true, but I had to apologize. He was right. I, I mean, trading Reese Hoskins is so... I would do it in a heartbeat if the alternative was something. Did you get sucked I, in by the 18 homers in 50 games? I think I did, yeah. I think I did. When did you let go of that? Because I think a lot of people gave, have given him and give him a pass because they think he's that guy and want that guy. I've Not that last year's back end means that's what he's going to be. But the more and more and more I hear about all this mechanical changes, when you're diving this deep into it, and you are literally trying to change every little piece of your swing, you're toast. You are toast. Well, let me tell you, he is. He reminds me a lot of, if you remember, um, Pat Burrell. Of course. Burrell, of course, well, was the number one pick in the draft. So a little bit different. So like Mickey Moniak. <laughs> so when Burl came up, <laughs> when Burl came up his first year, he hit 20, two, uh, 260 with 18 home runs in 111 games. And you're like, man, this kid's 23 years old. He got called up. He handled himself pretty well. The next year he hits 258 with 27 homers. You know, the next year after that, 37 homers, 282. You're like, we got a star here. They gave him that monster contract. He hit 209. And after that, he just was an average player. He was just an average, you know, low batting average, decent power numbers, not great power numbers. Hoskins still going down the same road. He got off to a great start. They haven't given him the contract yet, thankfully, but he's got decent power numbers. 34 homers is pretty good. 29 homers last year, they're pretty good. The batting average is unacceptable. And I think it's only going down. I, I think what he's going to eventually be... 226 last year. Is Yeah, and that was... Well, here's the thing with that. 226, you can look at it one or two ways. You can look at just the 226 and say unacceptable. But if you look at how bad he was last year at the end... Lost. Is 226 uh, not that bad considering he must have had a pretty decent first half if he was so miserable the second half and it ended at 226? I know. So, you know what I mean? Like, you can look at it two ways. You can say he was so disgustingly bad in the second half, which is the way I look at it, but does that mean the first half was good enough if the end result was 226? No. Okay. I mean, some people would look at it that way, though. They would say, well, 220. you're telling me he had such a bad season and he ended 226? That means his first half was really good. If his back half was that bad and it only resulted in 226. 226 is terrible. Well, in today's game, you could argue that it isn't terrible. No, 226 is still bad. I'm and with you. A, I'm agreeing with way, you. I'm just throwing the alternative no, out and there. And by the way, he's a right-handed hitter. That's different. It the is. The lefty's batting averages have taken a little bit of a hit because of the shifts. They don't shift on right-handers the same way, so their batting averages aren't effective uh, as affected as much. I'm with you. I'm just playing devil's advocate because I have, uh, you know, I hear it all the time. I hear the other side of it. I don't see it that way because he was that bad when it mattered late in the season. So, you know, with Reese, it's just frustrating. 
the difference between him and Pat Burrell, though, you know, Pat Burrell had a little bit of fun off the field. Does Reese Hoskins have that amount of fun? I don't think so. Not like Pat Burrell. I don't think so either. <laughs> I don't think anybody did. Here's an interesting Jeff question. Jeff Carter and Mike Richards, but yeah. I digress. <laughs> Here's an interesting question that just came in kind of off that. Could Jay Bruce be traded at the deadline this year if the Phillies need another arm in the rotation? What about Reese Hoskins? Could he be treated, traded at the deadline this year if, if he's hitting 246 with like eight homers? I don't think it'll be that bad. Do you think it'll be that bad? Well, Eight homers? See, here's the thing with What's I, a lot of home runs in a 60-game season? I, I mean, more than eight. Please tell me more than... I mean, I don't know. Eight, you think? I think eight's a decent amount. Okay. I think you're going to get out of Reese at this point. Something similar to Joey Gallo, where it's going to be maybe 210 batting average, a bunch of strikeouts, and then a decent amount of homers. So, you can you convince yourself that a lot of homers hitting 210 in that range no is good. worth having? No. I'm with you, I'm, especially if he's hitting fourth well, and he's striking out that much. This guy said, could Jay Bruce be traded for an arm? I think Reese Hoskins is more the guy to keep an eye on. I don't think I would trade Jay Bruce. And we, we kind of alluded to this before. If you're out of it, you would have to be, especially with the expanded playoffs. Oh, gee, don't get me started on this. Well, we're going to have to because that comes into play with this question. To be out of it, you would have to be... The Orioles, right? I mean, the Phillies are not going to be out of it, so they're not going to be trading anyone. So the union has approved the agreement discussed with Major League Baseball for expanded playoffs. Only for this year. The agreement is now subject to ratification by the owners. So the interesting wrinkle from this is that all second-place teams in the six divisions qualify now for the playoffs. Then the seventh and eighth teams will be chosen by best record among other teams. So you could be in the West, let's say, and be in third place and have more wins than the team in the East in second place, but that team gets in and you might not. But that's similar to how it kind of goes down now in terms of you could be in a bad division, have a worse record than, say, a wild card team. So you do see that. Like if the Yankees and Red Sox are battling, Yankees win the division, Red Sox have a great record, say they have 102 wins, but they don't get into the playoffs because there's a team that's in the West that has a bad record but won the division. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I get it. All the division winners get in. But this is allowing all the second-place teams to get in too. Right. I'm not saying I want that to happen, but their theory on how it's working in terms of a record being better than another record well, that's already kind of how baseball has its style anyway when it comes to playoffs. It's just not what the second No, no, place no, no, is. no, 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 not at all. The division winners are are congratulated, awarded for winning their division. Yeah, but the boss, okay, but this is why you're upset. Let's lay this out normally. The New York Yankees win the division with 105 wins, correct? I'm just spitballing hypothetical numbers. The Boston Red Sox come in second place in the division with 102 wins. Now let's go to the AL Central and say the Indians have 97 wins and they win the division. Well, they're getting in the playoffs with 97 wins, but the Boston Red Sox have 102 and they didn't win their division. So now they have to play in a wild card game. Yeah. So that is similar to what this is, no. is it not? No. Am I misunderstanding? Yes, you're okay, misunderstanding. Maybe I'm misunderstanding. Go ahead. In the, the old format, all three division winners get in. Yes. Okay, you're rewarded for winning your division. The next two best records get in in the wild card. Correct. Yeah. That's not happening now. Now, all of the second-place teams are also automatically getting in. So, in other words, like... Yeah, but that second-place team in a division 
can have a worse record than another team that's... Yes, that, but, but that's, not, not all the time. Like last year, Arizona Diamondbacks, their second-place team had 85 wins. That would put them in the playoffs. They were not one of the six best teams last year. So now, for just coming in second place in the West... Let's say they're they're under 500. Let's say the Dodgers win that division by 30 games and that the Diamondbacks are under 500 but they finish in second place. They're getting in. I'm not saying I I want this to happen, but in terms of how baseball has always run their playoff system, this just follows the way that they always run their playoffs. Not system. at all. I just gave you the same exact example on how a team that wins Most a division. Most times the second place team, especially in that East, you're giving me one example in the East where the second place team is going to have a better record than a division winner. But the division winner is always getting in for that's it. They're always getting in. But the wild card teams, which are new, by the way, these are new to begin with. Now you're saying these other teams, you don't even have to be the next best record. You just have to finish in first or second in your division, and you're automatically getting in. No, I get it. I just think with the way baseball has always kind of utilized this since the wild card, I guess it doesn't really surprise me because it's just it's following the way that their playoff system has been with the wild card. So it's they're just following no, the way. No, it, it's, no, it's... It is. I, the way I see it, it is. I just gave you the example of where it's not. Arizona had 85 wins last year. That is not one of the best records in the National League. Yeah, but, it, but your they division are matters in. in baseball. So your division matters. That. So yes. it's following the, the mindset of your division matters. So it's either come first and second in your division. That's the way that they're playing it this year. So they're just making it your division matters. So that's their mindset with this Winning the, the division has always mattered, not coming in second. Well, I get that. That's the part they're adding. But, but if they, they're, they're following their, their mentality of division play matters. So that's where I think it's Yeah, but if you're adding extra playoff teams, you should get the right teams in. Well, that's a different conversation. Yes, I would agree with you. But they didn't say that division. They're not explaining it as division play matters. But that's always how baseball's been. Well, winning the division. You've been rewarded for that. Yes. And then when they went to this wild card system, it's just the next two best records. Not, hey, you finished in second place in the AL East. You're getting in. Well, that's the addition of this wonky 16-team format. Right, I get that That's the wrinkle part. that he's talking about that, hey, by the way, you just need to finish in first and second, and then you're getting into the playoffs. Like, I, under this situation, Arizona would have got in, yet the Mets, who had 86 wins, would not get in, even though they so had— So are we, are we fighting about the difference in two wins? Like, the, the Diamondbacks and the Mets, you're still getting a very similar style of team at that point. I'm not— Talking about the quality of the team. I'm just saying, you're taking a team that got 85 wins and a team that had more wins than them and leaving them out. They are. And baseball has a problem with that with some other things, too, like the Boston situation I play. I just, I'm not surprised because they're just making it as simple as possible where it's, hey, come in first and second year division. And it follows what baseball has kind of had in terms of division play for years now. That part I don't agree with, but... And I don't like adding the extra teams. You give me 60 games, make all the games matter. Now you're even you're you're watering down a 60 game sprint and saying, eh, finish in first and second, you'll get in at it anyway. Who cares? Sadly, money talks. Sadly. Dang it. And opening The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN FM. All right, Sports Bash coming up next hour. Bob Wankel talks a little fills with us. We'll get into the Phillies' final roster, the pitching rotation. Who's in that bullpen? 
and some other stuff. Bob Wankel Crossing Broad covers the Phillies. They have approved, I guess, the 16-team baseball playoff format, which, by the way, Broads, if you went to last year's standings, the Phillies were still not good enough last year to get into the eight-team NL field. Imagine if that happens again this year. I mean, it's going to be close. It is. It's going to be close because the hell, how This is where that second-place thing could come in and bite you. Where Let's say the Braves, Nationals, Mets, and Phillies all have a better record than, say, the second-place team in the West. That second-place team in the West is taking a spot from somebody, so that's where that thing could come to bite you. Especially with how competitive this division is going to be. It's going to be close. It's not going to be like a far separation between these And the Central. you got the Cardinals, Brewers, Reds, and Cubs all battling for maybe the top spot in the division. 